0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. We've got a Bible tonight. Let's open up to James chapter 5. We're only going to look at really one verse. So if you don't have a Bible, be fine. You can hear it and you probably remember it. Uh, but let me just pray for us and then we'll dive in here. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, We thank You for good food, uh, friendships, fellowship, uh, family. Lord, good churches, good ministries, we're grateful to You. We pray for these next few minutes together, Lord, that You would draw near to us as we seek to draw near to You. And I pray for every single person here, myself included, uh, from the youngest to the oldest, that You would say something to us. You would personalize something. Uh, give us an insight. Give us an application. Um, inspire us where we need to be inspired. Humble us where we need to be humbled. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to work at, look at, like I said, just one verse really tonight, okay? And to me, it might be the most practical and pragmatic verse that I have seen help men really grow up spiritually, grow in their walk with the Lord, okay? Um, I mean, you could really debate that one, but, but I'm just trying to get really practical This verse I know has maybe been the biggest difference maker in my own life from seasons when I was really growing and seasons when I wasn't growing. Or maybe I was going backwards sometimes, So, I'm going to give just a little brief bit of context, not much. We're going to start in James chapter 5 and verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. I'll tell the person I'll call him back in a minute. Uh, the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this is context. We're not to the main verse yet. Okay, we just James is talking to Christians here, and he's saying, listen, if somebody's really sick, call on the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church and have them come over and pray for you, and anoint with oil, maybe that had medicinal value, It'd probably just more of a sign of the Holy Spirit, His blessing, His presence. And if they really pray in faith, the man will be healed. And if there was sin connected to the sickness, because sometimes there is, not always, but sometimes, the sins will be forgiven. Now, here's something really important. If you study these words in the Greek, the word for sick... It can mean physically sick. It can also mean spiritually sick. It can mean just a weakness. One commentator, a guy named H.A. Ironside said, it might mean like a mental depression. So it might be more psychological and not physical at all. It might be something more spiritual, like a spiritual weakness. That's the way the word is used sometimes. So could this refer to physical sickness, physical healing? Yes, it could. That's not the main thing we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about more when you're spiritually sick, when you're spiritually struggling, when you're spiritually dry, when you're spiritually weak, when you feel spiritually broken, and you need some spiritual healing and health and revival. Okay, One of the things you can do is you can call on elders to come and pray for you. Now, the verse that we're really going to look at is James 5.16. Before we get there, let me just say this. I mean, I was having this conversation today with one of my best friends driving here. He's in a bad place. He left me a voicemail about always going through, and I called him, and as we're talking, he's like, man, I don't know if it's physical. I don't know if it's something like in my mind, psychological, like I'm depressed and I need to go see a counselor. I don't know if I need to be on that. Ma- I don't know if I'm in sin. And here's the thing. It might be all the above, right? Because the way that God made us, body, soul, mind, and spirit, it's all woven together, I mean, listen, you don't have to be a Christian to know that certain sins, like worry, can affect you physically and give you an ulcer or keep you up at night, right? I mean, David, do you remember King David, this great godly man, when he got into big, bad, ugly sin, adultery, has a guy killed, he's trying to cover it up, and later he's writing about the period of time where he was hard-hearted and he was hiding it in Psalm 32, and he says, when I was silent about my sin, when I kept silent about my sin, it was like my bones were wasting away through the fever heat of summer. Part of the way God convicts us and chastens us sometimes in love to get our attention is through physical sickness. But, what we ought to be even more concerned about than physical sickness is the spiritual sickness. Okay, so James 5.16. Okay, here it is in the ESV. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I just want to read it from three different... Translation, so to speak. Here's from one called the Williams translation. So practice confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another that you may be cured. An upright man's prayer, when it keeps at work, is very powerful. Here's the message. Okay, not an exact translation, but every once in a while it gets something pretty good. All right, make this your common practice. Confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. I love that phrase. And here's the Phillips translation: You should get into the habit of admitting your sins to one another and praying for one another, so that if sickness comes to you, you may be healed. Okay. So, three quick points off from this verse, not twenty-two. All right. Honesty, humility, and healing. All right. So, honesty. And what do I really mean by honesty? Just confession. Listen again to the very first phrase. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Admit them. Agree about them. Be open and honest about them. Basically, it's like James is like saying, listen, if you get in a really bad place, like you're really sick, or you're really stuck in sin, like you're addicted to pornography, or you are in a full-blown depression, and you can't get out of bed, and something terrible is going wrong with you, and then you have to call for the elders. That's what you do. But part of then he's saying, you know what, guys? A better idea is don't wait till it gets that bad. Just start having a regular habit of when you have a little sin, a tiny sin, even just a temptation that hasn't turned all the way into sin yet. Confess it. Talk to people about it. And talk and let them pray for you. I mean, when confession is done right based on this verse, guys, it's like a preemptive strike against sin. Does that make sense? We could have a political debate about should America preemptively strike you know, their enemies or not. I don't really care about that that much. But you ought to have a preemptive strike against sin in your own life when Satan's coming after you. And one of the best ways you do, you bring it into the light. Now, historically, there have been times and seasons and places where Catholics have really abused this verse. And listen, if you're Catholic, you got friends that are Catholic, don't worry. I'm not about to beat up on Catholics, okay? I'm going to beat up on Protestants for it's all over, all right? But... You know, this whole you gotta confess your sins to a priest once a year, that's that's hogwash. It's not in the Bible, and it's certainly not in this verse. But sometimes we Protestants have way overreacted. My sin is just an issue between me and Jesus. I don't gotta talk to nobody about it. Technically, you can just talk to Jesus about your sin and get to heaven, but that might be the very rare exception. In the normal warp and woof of life, if you're really dealing with Christ with your sin, you will be dealing with others about your sin in the church, in the fellowship. Okay? Now, uh, as with so many things, this one my dad is up here on the front row, my dad and my brother in this blue shirt. My dad taught me a lot of great things, and one of the best things that he taught me, I quote this all the time in different contexts, is with most spiritual truths, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Right? There's, there's an extreme on either side. And with confession of sin, there is an extreme on both sides of the road. So, the one extreme is you can confess too much. Now, some of y'all are like, I never heard of that. Well, you hadn't worked in college ministry, okay? Well, one of the glorious things about working in college ministry is you see these new people a lot of times come to Christ, they start growing, and they get so zealous, and they read something, they're like, dude, I'm taking that all the way. I remember I had a guy one time in my discipleship group, and he really struggled a lot with his pride and appearance. You know, he ought me. We didn't think he was that good looking, but he thought he was that good looking. And so he would come into our little discipleship group every week and say, I got to tell you about all these women that were checking me out and what I was wearing. And we're like, dude, we we don't need all these details. Confess your pride. We'll pray for you. Don't don't overdo it. We had a girl one time in our ministry, actually on our staff team, and she had come out of some very scandalous stuff in her life. And we were having a huge conference, a couple thousand people. And she was going to give a testimony. And praise the Lord, we had the wherewithal to say, run it by kind of our women's staff shepherd before. And The women's staff shepherd came to me and said, she's going into graphic detail of some of her previous sin. And I had to go meet this girl and say, listen, fine for you to confess that to a couple of your best friends, you're not going to say that to 2,000 people. And I was like, you're going to make people sin if you share that. (laughs) That's the ditch over here. Most of us aren't close to this ditch, are we? here's the ditch on the other side of the road and this is the one that seems a lot more prevalent we tell virtually no one about our sin we just don't talk about it I was in a group with some other camp outreach staff at one point and there was one guy in the group that I knew had some big stuff going on but of the people in the group I was really the only guy that knew and I was kind of facilitating this group so we were having like a little meeting we get together and I just said here's what I want us to do this week I was trying to help this guy I said, I want us to all talk about, I gave him a choice. I said, you can talk about either the biggest sin you're struggling with, that can seem kind of daunting, or you can just struggle about the hardest, you know, struggle, just what's hard and heavy in your life. And everybody went around, about eight guys in this group. Everybody was pretty honest and vulnerable. We knew each other pretty well. When he got to this guy, again, and I knew he had something in his life. He's like, well, you know, I know I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. I, but, man, it kind of feels like everything in life is great right now. I didn't say anything to him then. About three months later, he got fired. Right? Here's the other way we can get into the other ditch. Is when we're happy to talk about sin in kind of a big, broad-brush way, right? I had another guy that we were dealing with. He kept having conflict with people. So we were trying to lovingly kind of talk to him about it. And we're like, you know, most men at some point in their life struggle with an idol of pride and respect. And he said, "Oh yeah." He said, "I think all men struggle with an idol of respect." And we said, "Great." We said, "Well, that's what we're talking about." We think right now in this relationship, you're straight. And he's like, "I don't struggle with an idol of respect." <laughs> he literally 5 seconds earlier said, "All men except for me." <laughs> right? I mean, listen, the whole, you know, Romans 3:23, we're all totally depraved. When it comes down to practical growth, that's that's almost practically worthless. You got to get specific. You got to get personal. Okay, listen guys, and I hope you'll, you'll get the sense of this, what I mean more importantly, what I think the Bible means. This is just about being honest. It's just about living in the light, being humble, being transparent, okay? Matthew Henry, great commentator, said this, It may be of good use to Christians. He's writing hundreds of years ago. You know, accountability groups are not some modern invention. It may be of good use to Christians to disclose their particular weaknesses and infirmities to one another. Here's one of the most practical things that I have learned over the years is don't wait till you sin to confess. Go ahead and confess the temptation. I'll give you a real practical, personal example. Right? I would love to be standing up here saying, guys, I learned all these lessons about 20 years ago and uh, I'm you know, the equivalent of Moses coming down the mountain to just tell y'all how to get it right. And that's not what I'm here to do. I, I am in the fight with you. Okay, we had a very old, ancient TV in our bedroom at home that I loved, and it died. And so I told my wife, you know, go buy a new TV, please try to buy the cheapest TV, all that, you know, and she's very thrifty, she comes back. But here's the thing, even at Walmart, I mean, I think anywhere, you can't buy dumb TVs anymore. I like dumb TVs, because now we got this smart TV, and we don't have a bunch of streaming services, but it gives all kinds of connections to all kinds of things I don't need to see. And so really quick, when I started, you know, I started getting on the phone with the people, talking to some lady in Pakistan or somewhere, trying to say, help me figure out how to block this stuff on my TV. And they basically were like, you can't do it. And so, I'm, you know, being part, of the, part of the good thing, I think it's mostly a good thing about being in full-time ministry. Is you end up, you're like, I'm in like five different accountability groups. So I just tell all the different guys in my different accountability groups, I'm not allowed to watch TV at my own house by myself. Why? Because I don't trust myself. May not happen tonight, may not be tomorrow night, may not be this week, may not be next week, but at some point, I'll get bored enough, mad enough, lonely enough, something enough, and I'll watch something I don't need to watch. So here's my rule. I just, If nobody else is at the house and awake, I don't turn the TV on. Make sense? And it helps me. What was I doing? I was confessing the temptation before it turned into something that was overwhelming me, because it could easily happen. Okay. I had a counseling professor at Art, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, And he said, Satan will define you by your secrets. You get that? You got something deep in your life that either you did or maybe you didn't even do. It it was done to you. And you're overwhelmed with shame. And you don't ever bring that into the light with another human being eyeball to eyeball. Satan will make you feel like you were totally defined by those actions. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You can hear all the gospel sermons you want. But until you bring it in the light, that lie will have some power in your soul. Confess your sins to one another. Thomas Manton, great old Puritan, said, confession is an act of mortification. Okay? It's a practical way to kill your sin. And he said, confession is the vomit of the soul. I like that, right? So don't vomit on everybody. <laughs> but at least have one or two close friends, a peer, a mentor, that you can vomit up your soul on them on a regular basis. Okay? be honest. Second point, be humble. It's about honesty, it's about humility, okay? Look at the second phrase there in James 5:16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And then skip to the very last sentence. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Listen, the point of confession is not just to get something off your chest. It's not just to get into the light But it's so other people can know what's going on and they can pray for you fervently. They can be in your corner. Let me go ahead and kind of skip to... Some of you are like, man, those are great ribs and I'm about to fall asleep. Let me just go ahead and skip to kind of the practical application for you. And can I point to a verse on this? No. But just here's from my 40-plus years of experience in life, fighting my own sin, trying to help other people fight. I think it is ideal. I think it is best for every Christian to have at least two people in your life that they know everything, all your deep, dark secrets. What you've done, what's been done to you, what you're planning on doing, you just ain't done it yet. What you're tempted to do that you don't think you'll ever really go through with it, but you've thought about it really darn hard a couple times. Understand? Again, probably don't tell everybody. But why do I say two people? I think it's ideal to have a mentor, somebody ahead of you, above you, and it's ideal to have a peer. And practically, why is that helpful? Because at some point, you're going to be really tempted to lie to at least one of them, right? I mean, I know some people have some great marriages. I think I have a marriage like this, by God's grace, where I tell my wife almost everything. But there's been some things I'm like, ah, I ain't telling her this one. So I need a man that I feel like, hey, I can tell you about this. And then if you have a mentor, sometimes you might say, I can't tell my mentor this. I feel like I, he'll just, I'll be embarrassed. Have at least two people that are like, I can tell them anything. I will tell them anything. Okay? Now, the last sentence in the verse about prayer, a little hard to translate, but basically here's what it means. The prevailing prayer accomplishes much. The persevering prayer, it's powerful. It does something. It's effective. It works. So, guys, do you have a group of men, a group of friends that you meet with on some regular basis where the main thing that you talk about is not food, it's not football, it's not politics and how much you hate the government... It's about here's my own personal sin struggle. Help me. Pray for me. I, here, the way I say this I almost don't know how you can really grow if you don't have some relationships like that in your life. It's almost impossible. Okay? Twice in this verse, one another, one another is supposed to be mutual, two ways, back and forth. There will be seasons where you're hot, where you're passionate. My buddy was on the phone today with me. He's in a cold, hard place. And by God's grace, I'm in a pretty decent place. I was able to help him and encourage him and pray for him. But you know what? There'll be another season, and there have been other seasons where I'm struggling and I can call him. You've got to have relationships like this. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We need to be humble, honest, transparent, vulnerable. Just think about this. When is the last time you went out of your way to ask somebody, hey, please pray for me because I'm struggling spiritually? I don't care exactly how you worded it. But I'm not talking about, well, pray for my friend, you know, he's got some back pain and old Ed, just, I, that's, there's this time and place for that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about when you're in Sunday school. It's like, any prayer requests? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess everybody else got one. I'll, I'll make one up. I'm talking about when you were in a situation where because you were struggling, you went out of your way, you kind of did something, I do to say, I'm in a place where I need somebody praying for me right now. Or, hey, I'm about to go somewhere. I'm about to be on a business trip. And every time I'm with these guys, there's always somebody going to the bar and staying way too long. Somebody ends up at the strip club. Hadn't been yet, but I feel like I get a little bit closer every time. Pray for me. Ask me about it. We need people like that in our life. one of the main practical reasons that most of us don't do, myself included, don't do this as much as we ought to. We're in love with our reputation. And it's almost like practically if God said, I'll give you a choice. You can really be holy. You can really be mature. Your reputation is going to be, ah. But your spiritual growth, through the ceiling. Or you can be a spiritual pygmy, an infant, but you can have a massive good reputation with man. Most of them are like, that sounds pretty good. You might have to sacrifice some of your opinion, I mean, some of people's opinion about you to really grow. So, honesty, humility, and then healing. Okay? Again, look at the verse. It's almost like a formula. It's not an exact formula. Don't overdo that, but just, therefore, confess your sins to one another, be honest, and pray for one another, be humble because it takes humility to ask for prayer. Pray for one another. That you may be healed. But guys, just like the word sickness can mean physical or spiritual sickness, the word healing can mean a physical healing or it can mean a spiritual healing, a spiritual reviving, a spiritual strengthening. I mean, I'm not going to do a show of hands on this, but just be honest. Do you feel spiritually sick? Do you ever feel spiritually lethargic? Do you ever feel kind of just spiritually dead inside and numb and tired and bored and weak and weary? Like, I want to grow. What's wrong with me? What can I grow? Are you really being humble? Are you really confessing? Are you really praying and asking others to pray for you? Matthew Poole said, Healing is often applied to the soul as well as to the body. Let me just give you a super brief part of my testimony. Um... I really think I came to Christ at age seven. You know, but one of the blessings and curses of growing up in a good Christian home is something like, I don't really know exactly when I came to Christ. By God's grace, I know I'm in the fold, right? <laughs> exactly when it happened? I don't know. I think it was at age seven. But part of the reason I'm not quite sure it was age seven because coming into middle school, I started partying my brains out, really rebellious. Freshman year of high school, sneaking out every chance I got, chasing girls, getting drunk, okay? Godly family. I was a great liar. They had no clue. And then the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school, God just did something supernatural in my heart. can't explain it. I just walked away from it all, cold turkey. God's grace. But you know the problem with youth groups is there's still a lot of cute girls at youth group, right? It's kind of easy to get away from pornography, easy to get away from drunkenness, but it's like every time I go to church, it's like there's plenty of girls here, and my feelings hadn't really changed. So I would end up in all these overly physical relationships. And I can literally remember, I mean, I could could take you to the place in Statesboro, Georgia where this happened, where I was driving home, leaving this girl's house, late one night. We'd been in sin, and I feel grieved, I feel broken, and literally I remember saying, God, I feel stuck. I feel trapped. I'm sick of doing this. What do I have to do to be free? Praying out loud in my car by myself. Listen, I'm Presbyterian, just like you, all right? Most of us, right? But even all the bad. I'm not charismatic, but here's the thing. It felt like, air quotes, God spoke to me. I didn't hear a voice, but it was like a thought came into my brain that I didn't put there and said, go tell your parents everything. I was pretty darn sure I didn't come up with that. (laughs) Now, back then, my parents used to go to bed at about 10 p.m., so I waited till the next night, about 9.55, and I said, Hey, Mom and Dad, I need to talk to you all for a second. You know, they kind of like, what? I said, ah, you may want to sit down for this one. And I emotionally vomited on them. Here's all the sin that I've been dealing with really since fifth grade that y'all have had no clue about. Not y'all's fault. I'm just a great liar, but it, and here's where it's progressed, and here's what God's done. But I'm still, and turning point in my life, guys turning point in my life now did I quit liking women in that moment praise God no right <laughs> did all my temptation instantaneously go away no did it make about a 90% difference in my fight with sin it absolutely freaking did the amplified bible this last little phrase it says restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. Okay? Guys, part of what makes this whole idea of confessing your sins one to another so good is, none of us are perfectly balanced. Some of us are too easy on ourselves. This is where I tend to land. Ah, what I did is not that big of a deal compared to other people. Right? Maybe you've been in an accountability group before or something, and somebody starts to get honest, and he's like, yeah, I mean, I look at, I look at porn every week. I don't look at it every day. I mean, maybe three or four times. That's not that bad, is it? And maybe there's a mature Christian in the room who says, hey, I love you, <laughs> but yes, yes, it is that bad. Some of us are too easy on ourselves, and we need somebody to lovingly kind of shake us and say, yeah, what you're doing is that bad. There are others of us, my buddy on the phone today, that are way too hard on ourselves. I'll give you an example. I had a gal speaking at one of our New Year's conferences years ago on assurance of salvation. I thought I gave a pretty good, clear talk, but I guess I did not, okay? But as soon as he got over, this baseball player came up to me. He said, hey, man, listen, uh, you know, I thought I became a Christian last month. You know, I used to smoke pot. Don't smoke pot anymore. Used to get drunk. Don't get drunk anymore. Used to sleep around. All I used to cuss like a sailor. I don't even cuss anymore. He said, but you know, when good-looking woman walks around, I still do have a lot of lustful thoughts. I guess I'm not a Christian. And I really looked at him, I said, hey, buddy, you're doing fine. <laughs> one month, God took all that and microwaved all that sin out of your life? You're still struggling with that one? Me too. Welcome to the club. You're in. Some of us need somebody to preach grace to us, guys. And part of what happens when we practice this kind of honesty and humility is we say, wait a second. If one of my brothers in Christ, who he's a sinner like me, if he was a little shocked and offended at what I've been doing, I wonder how a holy God would feel about my sin. Maybe I should take it a little bit more seriously. And on the other hand, when we're too hard on ourselves and we're like, wait a second, if one of my brothers in Christ, and he's a sinner like me, was so kind and so gracious and so warm and so quick to forgive how much more will my Father in Heaven be gracious? Listen, guys. This little formula, confession plus prayer, it equals progress. It doesn't equal perfection. It does equal progress. And let me show, I'll wrestle with whether while I was going to share this or not, but I'm going to share it. So if, you, if you're 50 and older, maybe just close your ears for just a second, okay? I just read a book by a guy named John Mark Comer called Live No Lives, and he had a phrase in there where he said, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you tend to think things like this. I wonder what kind of man I'm going to be when I grow up. I wonder how my life is going to turn out. I wonder what kind of role I might have in the church one day. And by the time you get your 50s, 60s, 70s, you don't think things like that anymore. You just kind of think, I guess this is it. I guess this is who i will become. Now, here's why I almost didn't share that, because... The power of the gospel is so great, if you're in here and you're 80 years old, God can still change you. Don't believe Satan's lie that you're stuck. And yet, to all the younger brothers, there is some unnatural inertia. There is a little bit of truth to the phrase, it's hard to teach an old dog a new trick. Learn these practices now and build them in your life of living in the light. Know yourself. <laughs> well, know your biggest sin struggle what's the reoccurring temptation and bring others into knowing yourself as well think about two of the godliest men in the Bible, Old Testament New Testament King David guys, he wrote part of the Bible, I mean it just doesn't get much more spiritual than that he committed adultery and not just adultery of the mind, right literally slept with somebody that wasn't his wife And then he killed her husband, right? Not just hatred in his heart. He literally had a man murdered. But you know what? He didn't repent until Nathan the prophet came and got in his face. So That's the Old Testament. We're so much better in the New Testament. Really? Fast forward to Peter. A number one apostle. Leader of the church. Jesus' best friend. Out there preaching the gospel. But then he gets down to Antioch. Judaizers come down, he starts withdrawing from the Gentiles, and he doesn't repent of his kind of separating racism, condescension, whatever you. I don't know what he's doing. But it was bad, it was wrong. and Paul had to step in and get in his face and say, "Peter, you're not walking in line with the gospel." <laughs> if Peter needed somebody to rebuke him face- to- face, if King David needed somebody to rebuke him face- to face, how much more me? And here's what I'm a little bit scared and sobered for guys, for myself. And the rest of us. Most of us don't have somebody in our life like Nathan and Paul, unfortunately, do we? It'd be great if Apostle Paul is my best friend I got to hang out with. So invite people in. Guys, this works best when it's invited in, when it's voluntary, not when it's forced. Right? If you're kind of on the edge tonight and one of your buddies comes up and says, Let's me and you start an accountability group. And you're kind of like, uh, Okay. Probably not going to be great for you. Because <laughs> you're going to be thinking, okay, how long have I got to show up and lie and then get out of this somehow, you know? It's best when you will say, I-, I want this. I need this. I'm sick. I got gangrene of the soul. Somebody help me. Let me just read a couple of quotes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German Christian under Hitler. Confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation, it hurts. He cuts a man down. It is a dreadful blow to pride. To stand there before a brother as a sinner is almost unbearable. The cross of Jesus Christ destroys all pride. We cannot find the cross of Christ if we shrink from going to the place where it is found, namely the public death of a sinner. And we refuse to bear the cross when we are ashamed to take upon ourselves the shameful death of the sinner in confession. We must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with the confession of sin to God, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution, and is not the reason perhaps for our countless relapses and the feebleness of our Christian obedience to be profound precisely, and the fact that we are living on self-forgiveness and not real forgiveness. There is room for prudence in public confession. Done wrong, it can pointlessly titillate or humiliate others. Exercise care in such confession, but don't shun it. Let me tell maybe just one more story. will wrap up after this. I was talking to a college student recently. A guy I'd been meeting with for years. Senior, older guy. And I, I know him well enough to know something was off. So we're meeting in a restaurant and I said, man, something seems off with you. You seem cold, you seem distant, you seem guarded. What's going on? Huh? Oh, nothing. I said, not I said, let me ask you a question like this. I said, you know, when Jesus was having a one-on-one conversation with the woman at the well, most of you remember that story, right? He talked to her about her sex life, her romantic life. He never brought up money because he knew Jesus could see her heart. He knew what was going on. Sexual relationships were a big deal. When Jesus later in another situation was meeting with a guy that we call the rich young ruler, he talked to him about his money and greed, possessions, right? Never talked to him about sex. That wasn't his issue. So I said, if Jesus walked in this restaurant tonight, sat down with you, what would he ask you? He kind of said, well, I don't know. I said, I'll take your best guess. I don't know. Probably be a lot of little things. And I think this was the spirit prompting me. I kind of leaned forward and I said, it's almost never a lot of little things. It's almost always one big thing. What makes you say that? I said, Well, it was with the woman in the well and the rich young ruler. And he kind of hung his head. And he said, There is one big thing. And then he snapped back and he said, But I ain't telling you about it. <laughs> and I said, That's fine. I said, I, I appreciate that. I get that. I said, But I'll tell you this you better tell somebody. I said, you ever talked to anybody about it in your whole life? Guy's 21 years old. Nope. And I'm not going to. Why do I have to? You want to grow? It's complicated, it involves other people. Almost always does. Part of what this guy's doing, and part of what we are all doing in some form or fashion, when we refuse to confess our sin at a practical, functional level, I'm not trusting in the blood of Christ to cover me. I'm trusting in my own efforts to put my best foot forward to the world. Look how good I look. It's a practical false gospel. Look how good I got it together over here. That's what's really so deadly about this, and it never works, because it doesn't really cleanse us from the guilt and the shame when we just say, I'll deal with it in my own way. So listen. Please hear me. Because sometimes there can be talk in Christian circles about accountability that makes it sound more like, kind of like some weight watchers on steroids, right? Where you've got to show up and publicly weigh and call out your weight and people are going to ask you the iron questions and you're going to be publicly shamed and humiliated. That might work for a while, but that's not primarily what I'm talking about. I'm not saying there's not a place for hard questions. But, but here's the main point, guys. It's got to be gospel-saturated, gospel-seasoned in all the conversation. And let me just give you a practical example again. When I confessed my sin to my parents that night at the kitchen table, my parents did not respond with some kind of weak, lawless antinomianism. Well, you know, sex drugs, rock and rolls, boys are going to be boys, so are you wild adults. Everybody does it. Not a big deal. Could be worse. That'd be terrible parenting. more importantly, it's terrible gospel. But neither did they respond in some kind of harsh legalistic, how dare you? Oh, my goodness. Ah! They literally responded with, we're so glad you're being honest with us. We're sad. We're grieving. Mainly, we're sad for you. But we're so glad you're being honest. We forgive you. We totally forgive you. And what can we do to help? And again, I hadn't been involved in campus. I didn't mean language, but I was like, Dad, I need you to hold me accountable. And I remember my dad prayed that night. Again, again, I've already said this, but I'll just say it again. Anybody that's going to get weird, we're not charismatics, okay? But something happened in that kitchen that night, almost like a charismatic Mike experience. I mean, there was something out of the ordinary. It's like God came close to me, and there was power, and there was change. Not perfection, but it was like a big step forward, guys. And you can't just say, you know, I had a time like that again back in my life 20 years ago. You've got to have a regular pattern. It may not be that dramatic every time, but a regular pattern of confessing your sins, praying for one another, getting healed. okay? Because listen, the temptation guys, even in sometimes confession and accountability, is, I guess I have to pay emotional penance. You understand what I mean by that? You ever felt that way? Like when I sin, it's like, I gotta cry or something. I never cry. but buy some eye drops, put them in my eyes. I got to feel really bad. I got to like be really dramatic in my confession. We feel like we have to pay God back with all our emotions. When Nathan confronted David, David literally just said, sin against God. You almost can't do it in the English because in the Hebrew it's only like three words. Sin against the Lord. That's all he said. And Nathan said, God's taking your sin away. It's gone. It's over. It's about honesty, guys. It's not about hiding it, but neither is it about paying it back. And here's the reason why. It's already been paid for. Paid in full, right? Past, present, and future. All we're doing is cashing in experientially on the debt that's already been paid for us. Let's just think about Christ for just a second. I promise we're done. Christ is such a good God. You may say, This is too hard to live with this kind of honesty, this kind of humility. The Lord Jesus Christ, even in his humanity, think about it. He had no sins to confess. But he did have temptation to confess, didn't he? Tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He had some temptations that we don't even have. Lord, I don't want to go to that cross. And he's walking in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had the humility to say to his three human friends, guys, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I'm dealing with so much sorrow. I mean, he's being so honest. And then he has the humility to say, yeah, I'm God. But I need you three guys to stay awake and pray with me. Guys, if he could be that humble, if he could be that honest, so could we. But here really is the last thing. Here's the real glorious part of this message. Because even on our best days, let's just be honest, we're never 100% honest enough, are we? Even on our best days, we're never 100% humble enough. even as we're kind of trying to fumble forward in this messy process of humility and honesty, we can still rest in the finished work of Christ. He was humble enough for me in my place. He was honest enough for me in my place. And then He went to the cross. He bore the wrath of God that all of us rightly deserve so that I can just say, I trust in Him. He's my high priest. Ultimately, I just confess my sin to Him. He does forgive me, and He cleanses us from all our sin, all our unrighteousness, all the guilt, all the shame. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for myself, I pray for every man in here that we will be motivated by your grace, by your goodness, not to hide our sin, not to lie about it, not to cover it up, and then not to feel like we got to pay for it, but freely come in honesty and humility and confess it mainly to you, but that we would see it as a means to that end. That sometimes the more we're honest with others and we confess to others, it helps us be more honest with ourselves and more honest with you. Please give us gospel-saturated relationships of honesty and humility and healing. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs.com at campusoutreach.org.